In college, a roommate of mine came in late one night with a startling question. I had started to uh, drift asleep, and uh, I woke up to the sound of the door slamming in my roommate's voice. He said, do you think anyone has ever been happy? Right, what a startling question. Of course, we have moments in our lives where we probably can think back to and think, yeah, I've experienced what it is to be happy, right? But a real sense of joy, have we experienced that? And if we look out to the world, we can see the world is hungering for happiness, hungering for this hole to be filled. So much of uh, life as we look and what is happening around us can be explained by this, this seeking for something that is lost, this longing for restoration. So I want us to consider that the ever-elusive pursuit of happiness is actually symptomatic of a condition that we all wrestle with. The world is broken. There's heartbreak There's hardship, and in the end, there's death. So the question is, what do we do with that? Where can we find hope? That is what we're all looking for. Where can we find hope? Now, while our text for today does not give some secret key to happiness, what it does point us to is where we can hope. Brothers and sisters, I hope that we can see that in the salvation that is in Christ, we have great reason to hope. Though sickness and death still surround us, our hope is in Christ. And I put before us today that our hope rests in the authority and compassion of Christ. Our hope rests in the authority and compassion of Christ. So now uh, we'll turn to read uh, the scripture text for today. Uh, I encourage you to have the text in front of you. It's printed in the bulletins, and you can also find it on, uh, in the Pew Bibles on uh, page 1098. And as we read, I encourage us to consider that we'll see two stories. Uh, first, we'll see uh, Christ's authority. And in the second story, I want us to pay attention to Christ's compassion. So, Luke 7, starting in verse 1. After he had finished all his sayings and the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent uh, sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with him, with, excuse me, and Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, 
But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one go and he goes, and to another come and he comes. And to my servant do this and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had uh, been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. The only son of his mother, she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. When he came up and touched the bear, and the bearers stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the, man, and the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear, fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea, in all the surrounding country. So as we work our way through this, these uh, stories, uh, I encourage you to keep the word in front of you. I won't be rereading much, but I will be going through, and so it will be helpful to have these words in front of you. So we see first Christ's authority in verses 1 to 10, and then Christ's compassion in verses 11 to 17. So let's consider this first story together. Jesus uh, was teaching this crowd of people. We saw that the last two weeks. And now uh, he enters Capernaum. Now at this point, uh, we know that people are starting to hear about Jesus' ministry. They're hearing more and more about this man who is teaching with great authority who is healing diseases, who is casting out demons. And they would have been asking themselves, who is this man? Who can do such a thing? He sounds a lot like prophets of old. Maybe he's the uh, return of Elijah. We know Elijah will come. And maybe they're thinking he's the long-awaited Messiah. But whoever he is, he is clearly from God. No man can do these things. And now while all of this is happening, there's a centurion in Capernaum who has this uh, servant who's uh, sick to the point of death. So we see that this servant is highly valued by this centurion. We also learn that this centurion has a good relationship with the uh, Jewish community. Now this should stand out to us. This is not always the case in first century uh, Judea that the, the Roman centurion would have a good relationship uh, with the Jewish community. And so this should stand out to us. It points us to this unusually kind character of this centurion. We also learn that he's a man of means, that he uh, not only has a good relationship with the Jewish community, but he actually helped uh, to build their synagogue. 
So this would have been uh, a man that would have been seen as very uh, powerful in this day. And yet he is powerless in the face of death. And so when he hears that Jesus is in the area, he hears about these reports of this man who's teaching and healing. He sends out some of the elders of the Jews so that uh, they might bring Jesus back, that Jesus might uh, come and heal the servant. And look uh, what the Jewish elders say to Jesus in verse 4 as they come to plead with him. They say, he is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation and he is the one who built our synagogue. And so they're appealing to Jesus on the basis of what this man has done. They are appealing on the basis of his merit. But we'll see that that is not the posture of the centurion. While the Jewish elders say he is worthy What does the centurion say? We read partway through verse 6. Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. Now, this centurion would have been aware of the Jewish customs of the day, and he would understand that for a Jewish man to come into uh, the house of a Gentile would make him unclean. But we see that it actually goes further than that because he doesn't even presume to come to Jesus. He sees that in the face of this glorious, this man who is doing these glorious things, This man who is from God, he is unworthy to even stand in his presence. And this actually stands out when we consider uh, the healings that Jesus has done. We've seen him heal in Luke. We've seen specific accounts. And in each case, Jesus is there. He's able uh, to to touch the people. They are able to see him working these miracles. And so uh, consider the fact that this man recognizes that Jesus' power goes beyond what these other uh, accounts would even indicate. That Jesus is able to heal not just uh, in person, but he is able to heal from a distance. And nobody in Israel recognized that. That's what Jesus says. See his response in verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And then almost as an afterthought, we read in verse 10 that the servant is healed. Right? The point of this story is really, uh, it's highlighting, it's drawing our attention to the authority of Jesus and to uh, this faith of the centurion. So what should we learn from this? Well, let us just consider this contrast between the appeal of the Jewish elders and the appeal of the centurion. They say, he is worthy to have you do this for him. I wonder if there are some here today who are thinking like this. 
In fact, I wonder if there are times where we all think like this. Lord, I'm worthy for you to do this for me. Right? Do we think when trouble comes, how is this happening? Lord, don't you see all that I've done for you? How could you bring this trouble? Or maybe we think, if I can just do enough good, then I will be favorable with God. He will look at me in a more favorable light. Or if I can just put that troublesome sin to death, then I will be forgiven. Then I will be clean. Then I will be free. Do you think your works make you worthy for God to work in your life? It's the question that is confronting us now. The centurion didn't. He didn't think so. The contrast and the heart posture of the centurion is that uh, he sends them out. To his, he sends out his friends to say, I am not worthy. Consider this is a man who, uh, by the standards of the day, he looks like he is pretty powerful. He's got good status, and he's even got a good reputation with the religious community, and yet he says, I'm not worthy. But let us look at what he appeals to. He doesn't appeal to his worth. He doesn't appeal to his power here, his might. So what does he appeal to? Jesus' authority. Brothers and sisters, the power to heal rests fully in Christ. And what we see here is that uh, this man who is at a point where he recognizes his powerlessness, he sees that even where he is powerless, God is powerful. Let us recognize that when we feel powerless, God is powerful. We can trust in his authority. Now let us consider this second story. Christ's authority is also on display here, but we see that his uh, authority uh, goes beyond sickness, that he has authority over death. But then we also uh, have to wonder, what is the basis for Jesus' healing here? We're told that Jesus goes to this town called Nain, that he, he's with his disciples and a great, a big crowd he's coming with. And then we also learn that there's this big crowd from this little town. Considerable number of people from this town are out for a funeral. Leading the charge is uh, the mother of this man who had died. We learn that she was already a widow and now she's lost her only son. Now, this would of course be tragic at any time to lose your only son. But especially in first century Judea, there's no government safety nets. There's no uh, social security or welfare. Right? She would be dependent on the support of her family and now she has no family. And so what we understand is that this is a desperate situation. We can see from this that uh, she would be on the outskirts of society and seen essentially as powerless. 
as they approach the town. Jesus, uh, with his large crowd, encounters this large crowd of the funeral. And we can imagine, right, uh, what Jesus' crowd must have been thinking. To give a little bit of context, according to the Torah, if you come in contact with a dead body, you would be uh, considered unclean. For seven days, you would have to go through this process of cleansing. And so I can imagine somebody, as Jesus is approaching this funeral, if you, if you were in Jesus' crowd, couldn't you imagine thinking, Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you approaching a dead body? What are you doing? But Jesus, he goes. And he comes to the weeping mother. He looks on her with compassion. We have a God who cares. We have a God who looks on pain with compassion. And if we're ever in doubt of that, let us come back here. Let us look at stories like this one and see that our God cares about hurting. Now, continuing in our story, Jesus says to the woman in verse 13, do not weep. And then he stops the funeral. The bearers stand still. And you can imagine at this point, Jesus is causing a scene. Right? Uh, Imagine the entire crowd is silent. And then what does Jesus do next? In verse 14, he speaks to the man who had died. He says, young man, I say to you, arise. Let us just pause here and consider the amount of tension that must have been in that crowd. Right? Can you imagine being in that crowd at that point? Uh, Thinking just in that split second, that, that moment between when Jesus speaks to this man and when he sits up and starts speaking, you'd be thinking, what in the world is he doing? Would this not only make the situation worse? But then to your amazement, the dead man rises. He sits up. He begins to speak. And then as we continue to read in verse 16, fear sees them all and they glorify God, saying a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. Now, what do we learn from this account? Well, of course, Christ's authority is again on display. But unlike the last story, we are not told about this woman's faith. So we might want to wonder, why is it that we're not told about this woman's faith? In fact, in the context of uh, these chapters in Luke, chapters 7 and 8, there's a theme of salvation by faith. And so the fact that we're not told about her faith should stand out to us. So why is it? Consider the basis for Christ raising this man. We read in verse 13. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And so the point of this story is not the woman's faith. The point of this story is Christ's compassion. Christ is compassionate. And in fact, the uh, compassion of God is a precursor to his unmerited favor. 
Brothers and sisters, let us understand. Let us know that grace comes first. His grace comes before our faith. We need to know that. What then is our hope? Well, we all at one point resembled this man who had died. We were dead. And today, some of us may still be dead. Not physically dead, but spiritually dead. Understanding that we are separated from God without hope, feeling hopeless, feeling the detachment. But there is good news here. We encounter a God who is powerful and compassionate. So maybe you've tried to earn God's favor. Maybe you're realizing that you can't earn it. Maybe you're realizing that you need the gift of his grace, which is totally dependent on his authority and his compassion. Maybe you see that today. Christian, your hope is totally dependent on the compassion of God. And if you're here today exploring Christianity, wondering what this is all about, well, here it is. We are restored not by our goodness, but by God's goodness. So, if that is you, if you are looking, I encourage you, the door is open. And so will you receive, will you enter And now, let us consider these stories together. We see the authority and the compassion of God in Christ displayed in both of these stories. And what we we see, brothers and sisters, when we look at this, is that, that hunger, that feeling that we are desiring is perfectly met in this God. This is the God that we need. We need a God who is both powerful and compassionate. We need a a God who has authority and a God who is kind to us when we don't deserve his life that he can give. Now, also, I want us uh, to, to be aware of a thread that is going through both of these stories right? We consider the centurion, right? A man who seems very powerful by society's standards. A man who uh, had the, the, the money, he had the resources, and yet in the face of death, he is utterly powerless. Similarly, the, uh, the widow who uh, actually, in, in great contrast to the centurion, uh, appears to be powerless by society's standard, and she is just as powerless as the centurion in the face of death. Isn't that our state, right? We can uh, have all sorts of uh, feelings of control in our lives, but at the end of the day, when we look at it, we ultimately understand that we don't have control in the ultimate sense. We are utterly powerless. We're powerless over the the effects of sin. We are powerless over death. And we are in need of restoration. 
But there is good news here. Let's read again in verse 16. After, the, after seeing Christ raise this man from the dead, we read, Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. Brothers and sisters, this is our hope, that God has visited his people with power and with compassion. Our hope rests in his authority and compassion. So now I ask you, consider, do you have this hope? Christ has demonstrated his authority and compassion, and so now we ask, what do you hope in? Do you trust in him? Now, we all functionally live with our faith somewhere. So really, let us consider where is our faith today, functionally speaking. This is not a question just for those who have not come to know Christ. Christian, I ask you to consider where is your trust? I can't help but to think about the sermon text from last week where uh, Jesus says to the crowd, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you. If we know his authority, if we know his compassion, will we not trust him? That is the question. How, uh, how will we respond when the unexpected comes, right? When the things go off with business, right? Or when uh, the stock market uh, crashes when uh, your own uh, family has tension, right? When somebody cuts you off on the highway, in so many cases, the unexpected just comes. And what pours out when the unexpected comes? Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it anger? Or is it trust in Christ? What pours out of us when the troubles in life come? That is what shows us what we are trusting in. And I think the, perhaps the biggest danger for some of us today is that rather than placing our faith in Christ, we place our faith in works of faith. Right? We know we should read our Bible. We know we should pray. We should go to church. And I, I don't want you to hear me wrongly. These are good things to do, but these are not what save us. So, if we're not careful, we, we can do these things and maybe we start to think, I am worthy for you to do this for me, Lord. And if that ever, if we catch a glimpse of that heart posture, let us leave it at the door. Let us uh, throw it down. Let us cling to the Lord. Let us come together and say, Lord, we are not worthy, but we know you are powerful. We know you are compassionate and we trust in you. Now, what would this lead us to? This doesn't just lead us to know these truths in our head, but what does it lead us to do? Right? When we come face to face with the just complete compassion and grace of the Lord that he would shower this unmerited favor on us, 
How can it move us to anything but humility? I want us to consider that God is in every way superior to us. In his uh, book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis uh, writes this, unless you know God is that, as in every way superior to us, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. So let us ask ourselves, do we see the high position of God and the low position that we are in? There's no room for pride in the heart of a Christian. And I fear that there's nothing that's done more damage to people's perception of Christ than proud Christians. Isn't it a misnomer when we consider that Christ leads us to humility? Let us examine our hearts, brothers and sisters. There's no room for self-exalting pride. No, not when we look, not when we behold and see the glorious grace that's been given to us in Christ. Let us check our pride at the door. And now, as we recognize this, brothers and sisters, we see a God who is compassionate. He's compassionate to the outsider. He was compassionate to us. And how then could we withhold compassion to others? So I ask us to consider when we come up the, uh, against the needs of others, are we compassionate or are we slow to extend our hand? Now, we don't have the power to raise the dead like Jesus does, but to the extent that we are able, where can we show compassion out of the compassion that we were given? Are there people that you know in your sphere who are hurting, who are experiencing uh, physical pain or emotional pain, who are spiritually hunger, hunger, who are experiencing spiritual hunger and are not being fed? Let us consider these people. Maybe there's somebody that's coming to your mind now, and if that's the case, let this be an encouragement. You might just be that hand of compassion from the Lord, that he would use you to show his compassion to another today. So, as we come up against this, let us, uh, let us behold this truth, let it sink into our hearts, and let it pour out Right? It doesn't uh, drive us to complacency. No, we are driven to compassion, brothers and sisters, by the authority and compassion of our Lord. Now, there's an issue that all of this raises. Right? If we consider the, uh, the power of God and the goodness of God, we're looking at that, and, and we're like, yeah, I, I think I believe that, and yet, what about when the healing doesn't come, right? What about when uh, I, I, I'm praying, I'm calling out to God, I know you are powerful, I know you are good, and the walls seem to be caving in on me, and you know what? Sometimes the healing does come, but sometimes it doesn't. What do we do then? I think it's in these situations where we really start to question the goodness and the uh, authority of God. 
But let us be careful not to lose sight of the bigger picture. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you today, whether God gives the healing or does not, there is great reason for hope in his authority and compassion. And so we have reason to rejoice. Why is that? Just consider this story. In this story, these people, eventually, they did die. Eventually, illness did come and they did die. This was not a picture of final deliverance. This was a foretaste of deliverance. And uh, it's a picture of the renewal that we will have as uh, heaven and earth are rejoined together in perfect unity in Christ. And we know that Christ has defeated sin and death once and for all by his death and resurrection. And so, yes, we have reason to rejoice. We have uh, reason to rejoice because he has invited us who were once outside in to the promises of Christ by his authority and by his compassion. And so we have reason to rejoice. We rejoice when God brings the healing and we rejoice when God does not because we know that one day every tear will be wiped away, that pain will be no more, that death will be swallowed up forever in final victory. And so yes, brothers and sisters, we rejoice. So now, let us finally consider. This passage does not give us some secret key to happiness, but it does give us great reason for hope. Our hope rests in the authority and compassion of Christ.